Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St. Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks, Dan. Um, and it's my great pleasure to introduce Belinda Tonic, who's a clinical nurse consultant for the Young People's Health Service, which is a program that runs out of the Department of Adolescent Medicine at the Royal Children's Hospital here in Melbourne. Welcome, Belinda. How are you? Thanks, John. I'm well, thanks. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Ah, it's great to have you, and I think yours is a, a nice little unique little conversation, which I look forward to unpacking, but thanks for being part of this. Now, your article focuses on immunisations and other preventative healthcare responses for vulnerable young people, and I, what I really liked about your article is the way it unpacked the more complex health issues in an understandable way for us non-health experts like me. Um, and I've really got a handle on it. But in light of COVID-19, this is a very timely reminder of the importance of vaccinations mm. because we don't have one at the moment for COVID-19. Mm. Um, but, but let us start with the obvious question, just if you could briefly um, give us a bit of a background about what is the immune system and why immunisation is so important? Sure. Uh, so... Well, the immune system, to put it simply, uh, it's our body's way of protecting us against infection. So it's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> Being a system, it's, it's like the digestive system or the circulatory system. Uh, it's made up of heaps of different cells, processes, um, interactions, different organs uh, that all work together just to help stop our uh, body from getting infection. Mm. It's a complex system, very. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> People spend a lifetime studying and researching it. So what, why does the body need immunisations then? Why are they so important if we've got this wonderful system already? Yeah, well, the immune system, um, I, I like to break it into two sort of sections. So um, first of all, there's sort of the non-specific immune system. So uh, that means that uh, our body basically, first of all, just tries not to let anything into our body. So things like your skin, um, it protects you from getting bacteria or viruses. Um, and, you know, I like to think of a an example of that is, say, if you've got a, um, a soft drink or like a can of beauty drink and you open it up and a little bit um, of bubbles come out, um, then the first thing you do is close your eyes and screw up your face. Now, that's... <laughs> As an example of um, of the immune system, um, that reflex is basically stopping anything that's not part of your body from getting in. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and, uh, but then if something does get into our body, so say if we get um, a cut or something like that, uh, then we've got cells that will help to um, stop that, uh, that bacteria or virus or toxin from replicating and from um, becoming an infection. So um, so that's your, again, they start off really non-specific 
that's your um, T cells and your natural killer cells. But then they, um, this is a really interesting bit, is that your body also stimulates a part of the immune system that keeps, um, that, that is more specific. So it targets specific bacteria or viruses, and those are your B cells. So they produce antibodies, they produce little proteins that um, try to kill specific bacteria or pathogens. Um, and part of that is that your body makes a memory, so they make a blueprint or a record um, of the virus or bacteria or pathogen that it's encountered. Mm-hmm. So that if it encounters it again, um, then it will know exactly what to do. Uh, it will be able to produce this response really quickly. Um, yeah, so with immunization... So, yeah, I was just going to say, so that's what immunizations are. You're giving it a little trigger or a little print. Absolutely, yeah. So immunizations are trying to stimulate that B cell response, so that, that memory response, so yep. that we can give our um, bodies a really safe... Um, it's a safe way for giving our bodies a, a reminder or a, a, a heads-up about particular um, viruses and bacteria. And toxins. Mm. So it's, it's obviously getting the level right. You want to give the body a, a taste of it, but not too much. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of science that goes in behind that, I imagine. I, I don't want to go down that path too far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're here about talking about homelessness, so uh, let's uh, let's get back on topic. But no, look, that's a very important conversation. Thanks. And your article does actually unpack that quite well. I found that quite understandable, so thanks. But it does sound like homeless young people are really missing out on vaccinations at quite a significant rate, according to some of the data you've used in your article. But which immunisations are they missing out on and which ones might be the most significant to their health? Mm. Yeah, you're right. So before, um, so what I'm involved in is a pilot project um, that was funded by the Department of Health, the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and before that, uh, we really didn't have much knowledge about um, or well, much evidence about um, uh, homeless young people and which vaccines they're missing. Um, but we've, uh, it was all anecdotal. So the nurses knew that um, they were seeing people that had missed high school vaccines, uh, but we didn't have any numbers. Um, yeah. And you, you were right when you said that um, they are missing out on us at a significant rate because now we've found um, from over 570 people that we've seen um, only 9% had had all of their immunizations. Um, and that's quite a, a, a large that's amount that are missing out. Yeah. It sure is. And so, yeah. which ones are the most significant or would have the biggest health impact? Yeah, so um, all, the, yeah, all the immunizations are really significant. Um, I would not be able to pick one. When you hear about the diseases that they cause, um, it, it would be. It would be impossible to say, oh, this one's, this one's important. Well, it's in the I guess it's okay to get polio or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're all pretty significant. So yeah. it, it also seemed to be that there was they were missing out on vaccinations at primary age or even baby age in that first 12 or 18 months. There would seem to be a lot of vaccinations on that list that they're missing from a very young age. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So the most commonly missed ones were um, the ones in high school. Uh, so, for example, the um, meningococcal ACWY vaccine, um, that yep. one's usually given in Victoria to in year 9 or 10, um, and only 28% of people had, had received that, um, whereas in, with uh, all other Victorian school students, about 75% um, had had it. So, um, yeah, okay. 
oh, sorry, twenty eight percent of the young, homeless young people um, had had it. Um, so seventy two percent had missed it. Um, so there's uh, that's one example of a high school one that was missing. Uh, but then there were definitely people who had missed the childhood vaccine. So things like measles, uh, measles, mumps, and rubella. Uh, having all of their polio vaccines um, and uh, even having uh, enough whooping cough um, to, to produce an immunity, whooping cough vaccine to produce immunity. Um, There's definitely things that we've mm. we missed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you talked about that example in Samoa when, when people miss out on a vaccine, what some of the implications can be. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah. So in, um, uh, in Samoa, there was... Uh, there was a, a large amount of people that had not had their measles vaccine um, when they were children, um, mm. and uh, that just left um, left a situation where there could have been an outbreak. So, um, because a lot of people hadn't had their measles immunisation, they weren't protected against the measles disease. So, mm. some people got measles and got a little bit unwell and then got over it. But some people get measles and um, get really sick from it. You can get really unwell from something like measles. Um, and if there's enough people that aren't protected, then that disease can spread around really quickly. Um, and uh, fortunately, they were able to um, to uh, get a vaccination program going really quickly to uh, to give out the measles vaccine um, and protect a lot more people. So that um, that created a herd immunity which means yep. that enough of the population is protected that the disease doesn't spread as rapidly. Yeah. Well, let's come back to your particular service and the program that you've um, been op operating. You've mm. talked about an effective way to do this is through this co-location approach, so not mm. setting up an independent or separate service but co-locating with other youth services. Can you tell us how that might have improved the uptake and you know your access to young people try and get to the people you wanted to work with. Yeah, I think uh, the co-location was key to, um, to the service. Uh, so that, that was part of the proposal of the project, the pilot project, was um, to say, well, we want to be where the young people are. Um, and that comes from, um, that, that idea is not a new one. Uh, it mm. comes from the Burdekin Report um, back in, in the 80s, that, uh, which was a Royal Commission into Youth Homelessness. Um, that said that uh, recommended that youth specific health services should be located where the homeless young people are, um, and and the young mm. people's health service was established 29 years ago, um, following those recommendations. Yeah, uh, so now um, now the young people's health service is located at um, is co-located with uh, a front yard youth services, um, and that's an access point for young people who might need housing um, or other youth services. Yep. Uh, and and a big part of our project was um, was not only offering vaccines there, but also um, or to continue offering vaccines there, but also to do outreach. Um, so we did outreach, or we're doing outreach to uh, youth refuges, to um, some of the flexible learning centres, um, secure welfare, yep. yeah, and, and some other services as well. Mm. Oh, fantastic. And it is, in some ways, this whole parody magazine is focused on this connection between health and homelessness. And in some ways, your particular project clearly shows the benefits of bringing health to where the, the, the homeless outreach services or an access point for, for homeless young people, in this case, mm. are coming to and provide the health service there instead of saying, 
you've got to come down to the hospital. So that yeah. I think that's it's a fantastic model. So well done. So the next question I had, and look, we've asked everyone on this podcast series this one, but I, I'm very interested in your response to this. But in, in, as we're in the middle of the COVID-19 epidemic um, and, and a disease with no vaccina- vaccination at present, um, and, and it's, likely to, it's potentially likely to change the way we relate and provide services into the future, but what do you think the impact on the population you're caring for will be with COVID-19. What do you what do you see is, is where this is going? Yeah, uh, well, I think we can already see a huge impact on the, um, the homeless population generally, um, and specifically the young people that um, that are homeless or at risk of homelessness. Uh, COVID-19 is a it's a communicable disease, so it's a disease that can um, that can be spread by interactions with other people, um, and those sort of diseases, clinical diseases, they love an environment where there's lots of people close in close quarters. Um, mm. They love an environment where people can't always uh, wash their hands every, you know, every time they're out or so. Um, and uh, so for um, the young people, I can imagine it can be quite scary to uh, to hear in the news that you know people. It's a really um, it's a it's a disease that's causing a lot of um, panic and a lot of health concerns, um, and these are the things you need to do. You have to stay at home. Well, obviously, you know, they don't always have a home. Um, mm. You need to wash your hands, but they don't always have somewhere to wash their hands. Um, so that can be quite scary. Um, that I, I see, and I can see that services um, are responding so quickly and so flexibly, which I think is really great. Uh, some of the refuges that I've been to so far have um, has put in place some great measures um, to help reduce the risk of uh, the um, communicable diseases generally from spreading. Mm. Um, when, when we... Oh, sorry? Yeah, go for it. Keep going. Yeah, uh, well, when we... Um, part of the Young People's Health, young people's health Service, so what our aim is to, um, to advance the health of young people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. So what we really do is to push preventative health um, we try to talk to young people about what they can do within themselves to um, prevent their risk of getting diseases and spreading diseases. Uh, so we, we try to just speak to young people about um, things like reducing smoking um, that can you know have really great outcomes for them. Um, things like not, not sharing cigarettes. Yes, not, yeah, not sharing cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because that's something we, we do see quite a bit, um, sharing cigarettes or, um, you know, finishing cigarettes that other people have dropped, things like that. Um, yeah. It's not the safest thing to be doing right now. <laughs> not ever, <laughs> but probably now it's going to work. What about having relationships? How do you start a relationship in this environment? It must be yeah. challenging. <laughs> it's hard when you're 1.5 metres away from you. <laughs> 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 you're trying to impress. Yeah, um, I think that, uh, you know, the young people that we see, they're, they're, they're so adaptable, so resilient. Um, I really believe that they're, they're um, online, you know, talking online, uh, yeah. gaming and stuff like that is a really great way to, to keep um, talking, keep, keep in contact with your friends and not feel so isolated um, mm. and, and uh, just maintaining that. If you go out, you know, for a smoke with a friend, then, then keeping that distance if you can, so trying to stay that 1.5 metres away or um, or not as trying to direct your, um, your speech mm. in a different direction. 
Um, Maybe. Just sorry, keep going. Uh, I was just going to say, we also sort of talking to people about um, getting the flu vaccine as well, and most people are really keen. On that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Now, definitely do that. I've just had my jab today, and it's a it's yep, a good thing. Um, <laughs> and working in the healthcare sector, it's pretty important. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I I I'd imagine young people are probably a lot more well versed on social media and being connected electronically than older populations. So maybe they're better set up for this kind of world that we're in whereas I'm I'm pretty sick of social media not that I was a great expert at it to start with but uh, there's so much information comes past and I think maybe young people can handle it better yeah um, I've definitely learned a few things on this job and you know how how we can like we we send out um, email reminders to people to tell them when their next immunizations are due and uh, when I first started working as a practice nurse we we were sending out letters in the post so, yeah. um, that's, you know, just one example of where uh, technology is actually really helping. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, look, we're coming to, our, coming to the end, Belinda. So um, I've, one of the questions, again, I like to ask each person I'm chatting to is about what, what isn't a, a story or an encounter that you've had through your working life or your personal life that inspires you to keep wanting to make a difference in this area of homelessness? Mm, yeah, uh, well, look, this project, um, as I said earlier, it was a pilot, so we didn't really know um, how it was going to go when we first started. It was all sort of um, just on the clinical nurse consultants and the nurse practitioner that I work with um, put together this idea that it could be a good area um, to develop. Uh, and um, I really feel inspired that most of the, every day that I'm working because I always meet young people that um, are so keen for preventative health. Um, I think a lot of the time they're, you know, a, a services will say, or a lot of the healthcare is crisis driven. So a lot of it is, um, is oh, well, I have to go to the emergency department now because I'm unwell. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you explain to the young people, you know, this, this, is a, um, this vaccine could prevent you from getting unwell in the first place. They generally just jump on top of it and say that's a great idea. You know, let's go for it. Mm. Um, so I think that it's, the, what really inspires me is um, it's just the young people that I uh, I meet and um, and speak to uh, and how keen they are on on advancing their own health. Um, it just makes me think that uh, doing things like co-location and um, and projects like this can be so important to um, to uh, facilitating that. That's really yeah. unusual. Mm. Oh, fantastic! It sounds like it's an impressive project, and it's got a little bit more to travel, hasn't it? You, you, you've got a few more years to go on this one. Uh, well, unfortunately, it's um, it was just an eighteen-month pilot, so it's finishing up oh, at, okay. um, at the end, end of June. But we are um, crossing our fingers and toes and putting in a, a proposal to the Department <laughs> of Health um, to to continue it. And um, I would love to see it as a you know an ongoing project, but we'll. we'll Take it a few years at a time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'm sorry I jumped the gun there, but look, thanks, Belinda, and all the very best for that uh, um, future funding opportunities that you'll be sourcing from the department and others. But um, look, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you, and it's great work that you're doing bringing preventative and you know, immunisation care to young people who are living, living on the streets. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lynn. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parody Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity.
This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.